Straight from the hip, straight from the heart with Jim Chapman on 94.9 FM CHRW. Uh, we, we welcome Jeff and Bob to the program, and we're going to press on. We've got uh, important issues today. The first one is uh, the story in, in, the, in the free press. Um, pandemic bill raises alarm, says the story. Um, I don't know any more about this than what I've read in the paper. I don't know whether you guys know any more about it or not. But if we believe what we read in the paper, which sometimes you can and sometimes you can't, this is pretty scary to me. According to this story, Monty Quinter, who's the health minister in Ontario, has drafted Bill 56 which contains a clause that gives the Ontario cabinet the power to authorize, authorize any person reasonably qualified to provide emergency services in a declared emergency. Now, they've authorized in quotes, so that's a word we want to pay attention to. Uh, So what does that mean? I'm going to authorize them to work. Well, I'm not sure. Let's read a little farther. The penalty for violating the proposed law, I guess for not accepting the authorization, is a fine of up to $100 thousand dollars and a year in jail for each day the order isn't obeyed now this is all about fear of a pandemic what would happen if bird flu hit something like that Uh, we keep being told that this disaster is on the horizon that's going to come and get us sooner or later and this is the ontario government's response to ensure that they have medical staff in place to care for these people now Further on in this article, there's a quote from the president of the OMA, Ontario Medical Association, Dr. Greg Flynn, who said, he's been assured the legislation isn't meant, and I'm quoting here, isn't meant to let government force health professionals to work against their will. Well, okay, uh, so there's two different stories in this one story here. Either this is forcing them to do it with a threat of $100,000 in a year in jail for every day you don't turn up for work, or it isn't, as Greg Flynn says, well, I've been promised it won't be. Uh, promised by politicians, it might be interesting to know. Uh, I want to ask you guys, uh, what the hell kind of country do we live in where our government could assume that kind of control over a specific segment of the populace? We know in wartime they can assume quite remarkable controls over the entire populace, but to say to a doctor, we're going to require you on pain of a $100,000 fine and a year in jail for every day you don't show up to go into a hospital to deal with a pandemic for which we have no cure and possibly no treatment uh, in which your chances of contracting it are pretty high and your chances of taking home to your kids are pretty high too, but we don't care about that. We're going to force you to do it. Am I overstating this, Jeff? Is this bigger than or smaller than what it appears to me in this story? Uh, no, that sounds accurate, and uh, I guess one of the things that occurs to me uh, is that uh, a promise uh, has no legal force in law. So if a government passes a law saying, don't worry, we're not going to use this, um, first of all, chances are it won't be that particular minister who's still around when they do decide to use it. And secondly, uh, uh, again, in, in law there are statutes and common law, there's no such thing as a promise, so that doesn't mean anything. And, you know, I, on the one hand, I guess, you know, you've got to plan ahead and you've got to, uh, you know, be ready and all that kind of stuff, but on the other hand, and it, it seems kind of insulting to the medical profession too to to you know think well who said that they're not going to be on the job and i was trying to remember back when the sars thing hit and it seems to me there were some issues about some people not wanting to work in certain places and yes. i can't remember how that played out but again i i think things would have to get awfully bad before the medical pre- profession abandons ship personally and apparently that, a third of them have already said that they wouldn't go Go where? According to some survey, third of the medical profession. Because they, 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 they said they would opt to stay home with their family rather than go into work that day, and I think that's what the, the government's reacting to. 
Well, I guess it's a question of how far you can force someone to do something. You know, if, if you force someone to physically be present there uh, and they don't want to be there and they really don't want to be there, how useful are they going to be? I don't know. Well, but you've, but me, you've got a pretty big stick there to make them go. You know, we'll put you in jail for a year. Well, why don't we just shoot mm. them at all? Well, if there's a pandemic, jail would be the least of their worries. Because that, that's going to solve everybody's problem. I mean, this is such an evil, evil concept. It's beyond my belief that, you know, you said, what kind of country do we live in? We live in a communist country, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's get with it. And it's turning fascist overnight. Um, the very idea to fine a doctor $100,000 a day and a day, you know, what's it? A, a year, year, a year, year in jail. Day. I can't believe it. It's so outrageous. It's out of Mad Magazine. But the fact is that this is the inevitability of health care run by government. It happens every time we try it. But the flip side of this coin is if you are suffering from this disease... Don't you want your doctor to be there? I mean, you subsidize that doctor's education. My disease and my suffering places no mortgage on anyone else's life, and we pay for everyone's education in a communist country. So to, to say that doctors have an education paid for by the state <laughs> doesn't distinguish them from any other soul in the universe, okay? So that, to me, is such a self-centered argument to say, oh, well, doctors get paid by the state. Give me a break. This is greed and selfishness, just running amok. Everybody wants a free health care system. They don't want to pay for it. We say that we value our health care system. Pure BS. Come on. We don't. If we did, we'd pay for it. And I, that I would be I don't it. know what the and public or private part of it has to do with this argument. That it seems to me the question that this bill is about whether or not you're going to force a medical professional to go somewhere that they don't want to go. And, uh, and, and yeah, I agree with you. I don't think you can. That if, if they're so freaked out that they don't want to go somewhere, uh, then a, a, a threat of jail is going to be the least of their worries. Can you imagine uh, some so doctor I, I just don't see how that's going to work. Yeah, I uh, but, I, but I'm reminded, though, John McRae wrote in Flanders Field. There's a doctor in World War I in... in uh, uh, in Flanders Fields. He died of influenza, I believe, yes. as part of that epidemic that uh, took, was it 18 million lives after World War One? 20 million, I think. Yeah. yeah, by some estimates, higher than by others. Yeah, yeah and doctors are, are, you know, on the front line and are the first ones to go uh, when there is that kind of a, uh, of a pandemic, particularly if it's not well understood and they don't know, first of all, how to insulate themselves. I remember when AIDS was, was hitting the fan and people were still not quite sure how it was transmitted and all that stuff, that uh, there were all kinds of doctors who took immense risks uh, to try to, uh, to, to help people, knowing that they could be next. Uh, and I just think that, to me, to appeal to kind of a, a base instinct and say we're going to force you to do this kind of thing is just not... It's just not practical. You can't force someone to go in and do a good job. You can appeal to their best instincts. You can appeal to their best instincts, and I think that that's where you'll find uh, that uh, that you get the best results. They say, "Look, at, they are a profession. They take that seriously. They swear the Hippocratic Oath. They, in my experience, uh, are the people out there on the front line and have taken the risk. So to pass a bill saying, "Well, just in case you don't, we're going to put you in jail," is quite insulting to me. There's an interesting story in, in the in this inside the Free Press story here. Um, purportedly an email received from a doctor in Ottawa who said, I've given the best years of my life training to become a physician and in providing care. Now that I have a family, do not ask me to sacrifice myself, and here's the key part, in a pandemic for which most medical treatments will be useless anyway. Yeah. That's right. They can't do anything about it. Just New Orleans should have taught us something. That no matter how many uh, safety precautions and things you have in place, when the, when the disaster's big enough, there's not much anybody can do about it. Nature... Oh, about we're going to do better than we're going to do better than New Orleans. Well, I mean, yeah. there are Americans down there, you, you know. know and could, could you see some Republicans to boot? You see some poor doctor who maybe wakes up one morning in the middle of one of these emergency situations, and he finds out he's really sick. He can't come in to work. Well, now he's got a problem. Mm-hmm. 
Jail for a year. Yeah. Plus 100000 If he's sick for three days, he loses everything he owns. $300,000. There goes your house. There goes your car. For getting sick, okay? Now... But if it's a pandemic, you know that's the least of the worries. Well, I know, and that's why the whole thing... What I think this reveals is the mind of our government, the kind of thinking that they are capable of. I mean, or not thinking, I would well, suggest. Well, that's, that's usually what causes evil, is not thinking. And, On the other hand, though, you know, like... It's, you know, it's patently... It's slavery. It's there, slavery by, by a fancy name. There is a danger, and I remember Bill, you once... Bill, uh, 56. I remember, Jim, you once talking about the... Um, that summer it was the West Nile virus and how it was all over the papers and everything else. And you point out that there were actually very few cases in Canada. Mm-hmm. It had been in the States since forever, and, and you know, it wasn't... People weren't dropping More dead in More people killed by lightning in West yeah, Nile. Yeah, and that... Uh, I remember reading a, a, an article by a, a psychiatrist, I believe, believe in the last couple of months talking about the amount of stress caused by these constant threats to us in the news uh, weakens our immune system to the extent that there's more illness caused by warning us about all these imminent threats than there is in the actual threats. And I recall a few years ago hearing a story about smallpox and how none of us have immunity to smallpox anymore and there's not nearly enough doses of it out there and that uh, any time that could break out and we'll all be wiped out and stuff. And then the government, uh, well, uh, then government, private sector and all that got together and made a zillion doses of it. Uh, I... I don't know why I'm still a glass-half-full guy, but I am. And I think that things would have to get pretty bad before our medical profession uh, gets overwhelmed by things. I, I think we are figuring out ways past these things, and we have to be shocked sometimes into dealing with them. But I suspect there's a solution to bird flu out there, and we're, we're not all going to die. And this is not the solution to No, exactly. Health terrorism is not the no, way no. to go. No. We're going to pause for a second. It's <laughs> left, right, and center. Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer, Jim Chapman with you today on the News Hour. We'll be back right after this. This is the Jim Chapman News Hour on 94.9 CHRW. Jim will be back in a moment. Jim's back right now, in fact. And uh, Jeff is with him, and Bob is with him, too, and left, right, and center. Uh, let's change the focus because I think we're all agreed that this is a horrible idea. This terrible, awful, horrible, horrible, Monty Quinter, give your head a shake idea. Um, but it's, we're getting a lot of those out of Toronto. I want to ask you guys, just sort of in passing, I've got another bigger one I want to get to. McGinty's now suggested that, well, and I don't think it's a suggestion, he's going to do it. They're going to have four-year terms for municipal councillors. Uh, I've been quite vocal as to saying I think that's a horrible idea. I thought it was a horrible idea when they went from two to three years. I think this is even worse. But I'd like to ask your thoughts on it. Bob, does it make any difference, do you think, whether they've got a four-year term or a three-year term? It makes a difference, but not a good one. Um... Again, you're going to have more entrenchment. <laughs> you know, it'll be longer periods of time uh, that that the voters can either give someone their endorsement or not. You know, and uh, would it make a really big difference? I don't know that I'd say that I'm going to save that much in taxes and that the government's going to be run that much better because when you think about it, the incumbents we've had in there have been in there for longer than four years, mm-hmm. more of most of them. Most of them, yeah. So, will it make that much of a difference? I don't know. Um, I don't think this recent uh, ward reapportionment in the city of London is going to make much of a difference in the long run either, although this first election might be a little bit of a hairy one. Yeah. Um, I can see people having wards where there's two incumbents and another ward where there's none. And this it's, issue of two councillors per ward, if, well, it, if that yeah. plays out, and it looks oh, very much boy. like it will. Uh, I asked an interesting question today, and I'll pass it along to you guys so you can ask your, your favorite candidates. Uh, if there are going to be 28 councillors, were the people running uh, accept half of the pay of the uh, existing councillors today? <laughs> Bernie McDonald says the big concern about that is it's going to cost us more money, and I'm saying why it shouldn't doesn't necessarily have to cost us anything if they accept that, okay, there's 28 through some kind of fluke here, so we'll just split the salary between each two of us, and uh, we'll be fine. That's not going to happen, but wouldn't it be nice to see somebody stand up and say they'd do that? 
<laughs> well, I, I as a taxpayer would support that. <laughs> My problem is that I'm being bought off in all of this because uh, as somebody who goes through a lot of shoe leather during an election, um, the idea that the ward is only going to be half as big, it's like cha-ching, and then uh, <laughs> you don't have to go out every three years, every four years, it's like twist my arm. So <laughs> I'm conflicted here. Yeah, it's, it's more convenient for the people running for office, that's for sure. Well, yeah. It's hugely more convenient. They have that much more time for the electorate to ignore them, as they normally do, except subliminally when they keep seeing their name in the newspaper and on the news and on radio programs right. and television, and then they walk into the booth, they have no idea who they're voting. Oh, I recognize that name. There'll be an extra year of that each time around, which which is, as you said, Bob, I think you used the term entrenched earlier. Hmm. It's going to entrench sort of the, the existing power structure. I'm surprised that more of the people who are um, who have been very vocal about supporting 14 wards are not being vocal about being opposed to a four-year term because it seems to me the two are opposed or being to each opposed other. to an unelected uh, uh, board of control. You know, they want to get rid of an elected board yeah. of control and replace it with an unelected one yeah. in the name of democracy. That's yeah. the part that gets yeah, me. I, I have right? a lot of trouble with that too. And uh, I'm not too. You know, I, I don't. I don't care one way or the other whether we've got seven or 14 wards. I think, though, I saw a map of the new ward structure in uh, the Free Press, mm-hmm. I think it was about a month ago or so. I don't know if that's still the way they're, they're looking at it, but ju- based on that, it seems to have uh, divided the city into regional interests. Mm. Surprise, surprise. And I see that as a formula for trouble in the future, whereas now one ward councillor might represent a businessman downtown and a homeowner in White Oaks or something, mm-hmm. right? So he has to balance those interests. He doesn't have to do that anymore in certain municipal issues, yeah. you know. And so I can see a danger there. But will it really change all that much? I don't know. I have a feeling we're going to end up with the same bunch. It's with hard the- to predict. And part of what uh, what is hard for me is because I I believe the Imagine London group would be considered probably kind of a leftish bunch compared to council, for instance, and that they obviously think that this is going to uh, enhance kind of uh, the influence of the left, I guess, in the life of the, of the city. Um, because the wards have been redrawn in a way that theoretically there'll be you know one councillor who represents a poor ward, for instance, and will not be conflicted as sort of their thinking. But it, you're right, Bob, it could go completely the other way. The other sure. thing that I've heard suggested uh, is that uh, as it stands right now, because there are two councillors per ward, that people may vote for their first choice for um, their first vote, but for their second vote, they're willing to have a lefty in there to be kind of a social conscience type of thing. But if they only get one vote, they only get to vote for one councillor, it's less likely to be the, uh, the, the lefty social conscience type. Um, so that's a concern. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that, but that's an interesting take on it. Yeah, yeah. and so it's just, who knows? I don't, that's no one idea. thing I never did like about the old system was the idea, I didn't mind having two votes if they were weighted, but not actually having two votes, because mm-hmm. so often that second vote you cast cancelled out your first. Mm-hmm. You know, and I saw that happen so many times during the election so that we, remember when we were with the London Middlesex Taxpayers Coalition, we always advised people, yes, you have two votes, but unless you have two candidates you can solidly support, yeah. just vote That's for right, one. Right. Yeah. Vote for the one that you really right. believe in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we're going to change the focus again. Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz with us today on the News Hour. This is a story about the Fraser Institute, a, a Fraser Institute report that was uh, authored by a former senior official in Immigration Canada that suggests we should be imposing some new responsibilities on potential new Canadians. Uh, the, the, the report says very clearly that Canada has a long-standing commitment to welcoming Diversity, immigrants from around the world, from every type of social and economic and religious background. We have not, well, we have discriminated, but we like to think that we haven't. Um, this new report is called Canada's Inadequate Response to Terrorism, the Need for Policy Reform. And it says that people who immigrate to Canada should be told very clearly, this is what we expect from you as a Canadian 
citizen, uh, uh, we hope, uh, you hope, potential Canadian citizen, um, among the things we accept is that you will sever, sever all ties with your former prejudices, angers, fears, resentments, uh, fights, scraps, battles, uh, in wherever you came from, leave them behind, come to Canada, start a new life. Uh, and if you don't do that, if we should find out that you have been sending money home to support uh, war, sending money home to do this or that, or been actively campaigning among your, among your fellow former countrymen here in Canada to elicit support for this political group or that political group somewhere else in the world, we're going to send you back home. We're going to say to you, listen, if you don't want to be a part of our country, that's fine. You go back and be a part of the country that you apparently are still interested in. Uh, Jeff, what do you make of that? Is this a aside from whether it's constitutional or not? And this is a big part of it. Could we could we do that? And and a lot of the consensus is no. Um, do we have the right to demand that of people who come here and want to be part of our country? Well, I guess uh, we we have the right to demand whatever we want as a country uh, as a condition of coming in. I guess among other things, it's a question of whether it's whether it's practical as far as human nature to require someone to change a belief. You know, really all we're asking is that they change a behavior. Uh, but uh, in the context of the environment that we're in right now where we've had the Patriot Act in the United States and the similar Canadian statute, I can't remember what it was, but it seems to me if, if the government believes that somebody is sending money to a terrorist group anywhere right now, there there is all kinds of authority to uh, deport them, or arrest them, do whatever they want. And that's going on right now. Uh, and so if somebody's suggesting that our current um, anti-terrorist legislation is not strong enough, I think that would be going against the tenor of what most of what I'm hearing now, which is that uh, we kind of overreacted with that with with the uh, Patriot Act and the Canadian equivalent. Uh, I was reading a couple weeks ago in the paper that there's a secret trial going on in Ottawa right now that nobody's supposed to know about. That uh, the uh, lawyer doesn't is not allowed to know the case, uh, the defense lawyer, the case that the government has. There's no disclosure. Uh, it's again, it's all secret and all this kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, and what about uh, sort of the Magna Carta, habeas corpus, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff? Uh, how far are we going to go down this road to these secret trials? Is this perhaps not a better alternative to that, though? Just well, I guess, perhaps to say, you know, very, very openly, very out in front. Here's what we expect you to. But, you say we can't change people's beliefs. Here's how we expect you to operate while you're here. And if you don't, you're gone. I guess it's, it's a question of how you play it out. That uh, if you, if, uh, again, there's nothing wrong with trying to get across the idea that in Canada we don't do things that way. And, and it really is a better way to go. Uh, and I think most people buy into that. Because we really have, considering the diversity of, of places that people come from, we've got extremely little strife in Canada. Um, so uh, I guess... There's no harm in, in getting that message across one way or another. It's always a question of, you know, do you win, do you win the mines with, uh, with the stick or the carrot? Uh, and with the stick, again, most of what I've read in the last year or so is that eh, we, our stick's actually a bit too big right now, and this would just possibly be another one. Now, if it's a substitute for something else, you may be right, uh, if it's a, if it's a gent- gentler way of doing things. But it reminded me when you mentioned that that I've committed to write a letter of support for a family that are facing deportation right now. Uh, and for some reason, the government is in a big hurry to deport them before their hearing. And their, their lawyer, who's Michael Loback, who's the most prominent immigration lawyer in London, says that they have a very good um, case mm-hmm. at their hearing. So I'm thinking, why in heaven's name can't the government wait to hear what their own tribunal decides about this before they go and, and throw them out of the country? You do quite often, at least from my observation, outside of the legal community, but we do often see sort of left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing yes. when it comes to immigration. Things. That's right. And so it's, again, a question, do you want to give more levers and more power to, the, to those guys <laughs> that, I, that do all these inscrutable things that I can't understand? They, just, they seem to make all these wacky decisions so do we want to give them more power or not uh, i have to make a wacky decision here jen do we have any spots left are we done 
One more set. Okay, let's do that right now, and then we'll be back and hear what Bob has to say about this. Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer, Jim Chapman on left, right, and center. Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer, Jim Chapman with you. Bob, Bob uh, you're up. Yeah, I only know what you just told us about in the Fraser Institute report there on, on uh, immigration, but I don't know why they're targeting something like this specifically at immigrants. You'd think this would be something that the government should target at everyone. Listen, we don't kill people. We don't engage in terrorism. Yeah, but we, can't, we, can't send, we can't send native-born Canadians back home. <laughs> no. We can't throw them out of the country. Well, that, that's what I find very strange. I think it speaks again more to the existing problem of government and to a problem of immigration is what they've allowed up till now, that they have to change the rules. Mm-hmm. Up till now, it sounds like if you have to make a change like that, that means up till now, we've allowed uh, terrorists in and it's okay if they support their uh, terrorist causes and stuff like that. That's the implication of the mm-hmm. report. You know, but other than that, in a broad sense, I mean, I'm all, I've always been in favor of open immigration, like as, as open as possible, provided that every immigrant that comes to the country un- recognizes the laws under which the country is based, that when in Rome, you do as the Romans, not the Romans have to do as you when you get here, okay? And the other one is to be self-sufficient. And that was, a, that was always a prerequisite of immigrants to North America so- up until... Roughly the 50s and 60s. So you put, uh, when you talk about when in Rome do as the Romans, is that a reference to culture? That, that, uh, you Not culture, to law. Okay. So a culture uh, you don't care about? Well, um, in the broadest sense? Well, the, the irony sense? is that our law is, uh, by our, I mean the broad Western culture, okay, that, mm-hmm. not Canada per se, but yeah. say Western culture is the only law that embraces multiculturalism in a sense. Because over here we have choice, and mm-hmm. whatever your choices are, however they manifest themselves in culture, is part of our culture, and that's the irony of it, you know, that it's our freedom that creates that multiculturalism. You can't create multiculturalism through funding it, through uh, government edicts and things like that. Anytime you create a culture or have a law about culture, then what you've basically done is frozen that culture in time. That's what we've done to our aboriginals, that's what we've done to various, uh, you know, immigrant groups. And I don't think we want to see that with people coming from the Mideast or anything like that either, I think. Uh, they should be treated as equals, and everybody, you know, if I'm, if I'm a terrorist, they should do something with me, too, not just an immigrant coming to the country. Well, and it's interesting you mentioned the idea that uh, surely it should apply to all Canadians. And I'm reminded of the Simpsons episode where Abu uh, becomes an American citizen, and uh, they have this rigorous test they have to go through. And one of the questions is, uh, you know, what, what was the cause of the Civil War? And he says, well, the causes were actually very diverse. They had a lot to do with power imbalance <laughs> and the Industrial Revolution and the cotton industry. And so they said, just say slavery. Slavery it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, it, I don't know how far this will go. This is just Fraser Institute. It will be instantly discounted by the left as being, well, it's the Fraser Institute again. Already forgotten. Uh, already forgotten, <laughs> yes. Uh, but certainly I think it touches a, uh, a sensitive spot with a lot of Canadians who wonder, at least wonder, are we doing the right thing? Are we, are we asking people coming here, uh, asking enough of them in terms of including themselves in, to use the old phrase, you know, include yourself into our society instead of uh, sort of encouraging them to come and, and set up shop on the corner and insulate themselves, which seems to be, has always happened to a certain extent in all immigrant populations and has always grown out of by it's that population, not, too. I, I, I wouldn't call that harm, harmful in any way. It depends on the culture. If I look at Chinatown in Toronto, I, there's no way in the world I'd think that was a harmful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you might if you belong part, to the Falun Gong. Well, <laughs> well, remember, you, you've uh, got organized crime and other issues in every culture and subculture. I mean, you could talk about the Italians, the Mexicans, the, you know, keep going on and on and on. You can't make that the criteria of the whole culture. Guys, I'm sorry we're out of time. The music is playing in my ear, although you can't hear it, mm-hmm. and that means we'll the end of the program. Uh, thanks to Jeff Schlemmer, Bob <laughs> Metz for being with us today. Thanks, Appreciate Jim. you coming in for Left, Right, and Center.
And folks, if you've got issues you'd like our guys to discuss, you let us know. Drop us a line at jimchapman at rogers.com. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 with the next edition of the News Hour. Hope you can find a way to work it into your day, or you can listen to us on the web too, jimchapman.ca. In the meantime, for Jeff and Bob. Jim saying, we'll see you around. In the meantime, please take care of each other. Find out your goal. Bye-bye.